Hi, uh, this is Matthew West. Um, I'm the champion of this uh, uh, <coughs> database and ontology miniseries, um, and uh, we're going to make a slight change today. Um, the, this miniseries has outstripped all expectations in terms of attracting interesting speakers. Um, and to date I've been uh, not only championing but chairing the sessions as well. Um, and since this looks like it's going to continue to be a successful, I, I think miniseries is perhaps a misnomer by now, um, uh, I'm looking to spread the load. And uh, Susie Stevens, who's on our programme com committee, is, is one of those who has offered to take on chairing uh, uh, sessions. Um, so now I'd like to hand over to Susie uh, to continue chairing this session tonight. And welcome to everyone. Thank you, Matthew. Um, so as Matthew was saying, I'm Susie Stevens. Um, I work at Eli Lilly, and I'm now um, helping Matthew to um, co-chair the series on ontologies and databases. So um, I'm very pleased to introduce my um, former colleagues from Oracle uh, today who will be presenting on um, building database infrastructure for managing um, semantic data. And in particular, in this talk, they'll be focusing on describing their experiences in building the infrastructure for storage and management of ontologies and semantic data in the database. And we'll also be including examples that show the power of combining ontologies with relational queries. In a subsequent talk, they're also going to be presenting on um, uh, the support for OWL, which will be coming up shortly. So the two presenters from Oracle today are um, Suri Das, who has pioneered the work on semantic technologies in Oracle and has led the development effort over the um, two product cycles since its in inception in 2002, and um, Meli uh, Anamalay, who has also had a, a large focus on um, providing support for semantic capabilities inside of the database and um, is also working um, with W3C on their Semantic Web Education and Outreach Group and also in their Multimedia Semantic in Incubator Group. So with that, I'd like to hand over to Suri and Meli. Thanks, Suri and uh, Matthew. Uh, uh, this is Shuri Das uh, from Oracle. I have Meli right here. Um, Meli will um, be speaking in the latter part of the of the talk. And um, I'm, this is the first time I'm attending this uh, this uh, uh, forum. So uh, if I make any mistake regarding um, you know the page moving the pages and so on, please uh, point it out. And if, there, if you have any detailed questions, if you could, uh, you know, leave it um, for the end of the talk, that will be, uh, be, I think, uh, very helpful. But if you need uh, little clarifications, uh, um, you know, you can just feel free to um, you know, unmute and ask the question. Um, so a brief history, a quick history of, of the how we got into this is basically we are, we are uh, database people, as you can understand, being from Oracle uh, way back in um, to early 2000. We were looking at, looked at we looked at some of the uh, semantic technology related or semantic web related uh, documents and seemed very interesting and we started exploring uh, the area and uh, pretty soon we were able to do some prototyping on this and the our management recognized that this is a possible good uh, good thing in the market that's probably going to going to come up uh, pretty good and so we got the support to get things into the product. And uh, so we have uh, already um, in 10.2, uh, 10, uh, Oracle 10G release 2, we have uh, support for uh, for uh, semantic technologies. Uh, and um, we are in the upcoming release also, we are working on 
answering this substantially. Um, so because of some of the legal aspects, I probably cannot talk about our proposed functionalities and so on too much. Um, so uh, in this talk, we'll probably focus mostly on the uh, on the features that we support in um, in 10G, Oracle 10G Release 2. So with that... Juri, are we still supposed to be on the opening slide? Or we are still on the opening slide, I'm sorry, yeah. And now I'm going to going over to uh, slide number two. Next slide, please. So, um, so basically, now support the. Uh, what, what we are going to talk about how we can how what are the issues in supporting uh, uh, semantic technologies in a database, and what are the opportunities there. And we also explain our model, which basically consists of three functionalities: how to store semantic data, how to query semantic data, and how to do inferencing. And uh, then the last part of the talk will 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 um, focus on the use cases that how we can enhance uh, database mm -hmm. queries by injecting semantics into it with the help of semantics essentially how we can get more value out of the data information that we are storing in the in the database uh, we are we are now on slide number three uh, the next slide please so I'm not fully sure about the uh, level of familiarity with uh, RDS probably most of you are already very familiar with this so I'll just go quickly on this slide uh, titled Semantic Technology. It's just uh, a very quick introduction. Uh, we have facts uh, in, uh, in, uh, represented as uh, RDF triples, and a triple is a basic building block, um, and a, a, a collection of triples, a set of triples together forms an RDF graph, and that connects uh, different pieces of data. And then we can have uh, inferences uh, using different entailment regimes, like, for example, RDF, RDFS, or OWL, uh, that can be used to infer uh, new uh, triples from the existing triples. And all of these RDF, OWL, R, and W3C standards. So as you can see in this example, um, we have a few, uh, this is RDF, and this, R, this is a graph, graphical representation, graph representation of the RDF, uh, of an RDF model, um, where the edges, it's basically a directed labeled uh, graph. The in this graph, um, in this picture that we have, um, the faded lines are the ones that are derived from existing information. Um, so, so I guess, um, as I said, I, I do not, don't want to spend too much time unless someone needs clarification on this because this is probably very, you're, all of you are probably very familiar with this. Uh, next slide, please. Slide number four. So. <coughs> Then using database for, the title is using a database for semantic applications. So uh, one of the things, main opportunities that we see that database queries can be enhanced using semantics. Uh, for example, syntactic comparisons are, are good, uh, and databases are very efficient in doing that. But when someone is asking for a restaurant, let's say I want to have uh, um, uh, Latin American uh, food, Latin American cuisine, and in the database, I have uh, data sitting there which says, oh, this is Mexican food, this is Brazilian food, this is, you know, Colombian food. Uh, it may not match, actually. It will not match if you go for exact syntactic match which says, oh, this is, uh, uh, none of this is exactly same as Latin American food. But if we have an ontology there sitting which says, okay, Latin American food is a superclass of Mexican, Bolivian, 
Colombian, Brazilian, and all these kinds of cuisine, then we would be able to figure it out. We, uh, then, then the query will be able to retrieve the data which I really need. So we see a lot of scope of that uh, in, um, as, um, as, as an opportunity for databases to um, incorporate semantics into it to give more value to the user. And, uh, and the other aspect that comes in is that it's, it's on the other side. So as one side is the in injecting semantics into database queries and database storage so that we get more out of it. The second thing is what does semantic, the area of semantics get out of databases? Databases has been around for a long and databases do very well with respect to things like scalability. You can, you, you can go to billions of uh, triples and still, uh, you know, your query will come back in a reasonable amount of time and you can store them with a, in, within a reasonable amount of time, load the data. And the other aspects that are very critical these days are security, of course, transaction control, availability, backup and recovery, lifecycle management, and there's a, I mean, endless list of uh, uh, features that databases uh, bring in to the table. Uh, moving on to the next slide now, slide number uh, five. The title is, uh, again, the same, Using a Database for Semantic Applications Continued. So uh, what, does, what is the advantage of SQL? SQL uh, the ability, SQL is basically an open uh, interface, and the advantage of um, trying to make the SQL, like semantics aware, is that today there are a lot of developers that are very familiar with uh, database uh, programming language, database languages such as SQL. And so if we can provide in a, in a smooth way, if we semantics into SQL, uh, we suddenly get a lot of users, which definitely is going to help the uh, field of semantic technology to and get into the market. And, the, and already we are seeing that a, a, a lot, of, lot of areas like biosurveillance, uh, social networks, tel telcos, utilities, and so on, they are all using databases because they have huge amount of data to manage. And then they, they, some of them actually have already started using uh, semantics um, as provided in Oracle 10G release tool um, to enhance their capabilities with the use of the semantics. Uh, Meli is going to probably talk about uh, this towards the end of the uh, end of this uh, talk, and um, I'll move over to more into the support uh, aspects. What are the things inside and that we and that we provide for um, that will help the users build semantic applications and store semantic data in the. Moving on to the next slide now, number six, and the title is our approach. Um, we, we wanted to provide support for managing RDF and OWL data in the database so that semantic applications can be built. And so the first thing that is most important is storage model. Uh, and then second is the SQL-based RDF query interface. This is a very, very uh, interesting thing. I'll, I'll actually go into detail of this um, uh, in, a, in a later slide. Um, and then a query interface that actually allows combining the SQL queries with, uh, on relational data. See, this is the, the data, the area, the, uh, the space, the data space is not just one kind of data. You have all kinds of data, data that is very structured, and therefore relational representation is probably the best representation for it. It provides the best, most efficiency uh, in terms of, you know, uh, retrieval and so on. And then there are data which is semi-structured or, or um, which needs a different kind of thing for which relational may not be the, uh, itself directly may not be the best. So, uh, so we need to provide a way to combine uh, uh, a way to combine the querying aspect to both kinds of data. Uh, 
And then the other aspect that, that RDF brings into the picture, RDF and OWL uh, brings into the picture, is the inferencing aspect. We, uh, inferencing is, is a very critical thing, but then again, inferencing is a complex task and may generate many triples. And then finally, uh, the scale uh, aspect, which is supporting uh, for large graphs, which where we could have triples, billions of triples, um, that we are already seeing this kind of graph in some of the use cases that Meli um, will, uh, will probably talk about towards the end. So, going on slide, uh, slide number uh, seven, uh, that's, the title is Technical Overview. So, this, is, this basically uh, shows the components that we have in our, in the, the major components that we have in our support, RDF support in Oracle database. So, uh, the storage-wise, there are two kinds of um, data that we have. One is the, one part of it is the RDF and OWL data and ontologies. And the other aspect is traditional uh, enterprise data, which is relational, uh, in the relational form. And um, functionality-wise, there are three components. One is the store, uh, storage of data, how to store data, inference, and query. In, for the store, we support uh, two kinds of load. One is the, in a 10G release 2, one is the batch loading, which is uh, the much faster way uh, of loading uh, a whole bunch of data if you have uh, to load. Uh, and the other one is the normal incremental load, that is insert statements, and you can, have, you can do DML, like update and delete, uh, up, delete uh, um, RDF triples and so on. The query aspect is, um, of course, how do you query uh, the RDF and OWL data and ontologies? And the second thing in the query is how do you, how do you combine relational query, a SQL query, with RDF and OWL query. And uh, the third aspect, and which is something very unique to RDF OWL, is the inference. And here we support two kinds of uh, entailment regime. One is the RDF and RDFS, and the other is um, user-defined rules. Uh, the reason we introduced user-defined rules was um, basically that um, in RDFS, we, you cannot actually introduce a user-defined property and and say that that is actually transitive. Uh, so, for example, if you wanted to introduce the property ancestor of, uh, which is clearly a transitive property, yeah, you cannot actually indicate that in RDFS. So we thought that deficiency needs to be addressed, and user-defined rules were somewhat motivated by that, that, uh, that you can actually use the user-defined rules capability in Oracle 10G Release 2 to indicate that, um, uh, that uh, ancestor of is a transitive property by writing a rule for it. Um, moving over to the next slide, uh, number eight. This is a very familiar picture. I'll probably not spend much time on it. Uh, this is the, the cake uh, picture. And uh, we just wanted to show that our focus uh, for building the infrastructure inside the database uh, is, has been uh, to support, uh, for, uh, for, towards uh, supporting RDF and RDFS and uh, ontologies, and specifically in OWL, um, uh, also in RDFS. Moving over to the next slide, uh, slide number nine. Okay, this is, in this section, uh, this is a section heading, uh, we are going to talk about more details about the storage aspect of uh, semantic technology support in Oracle uh, 10G Release 2. So moving over again to the first slide in this section, slide number 10. Uh, say storage uh, schema objects. Uh, the 
we, we consider each graph, each RDF graph is basically considered, is stored in what we call an RDF model inside the, in, in our database. And then we have, um, for corresponding to each model, there is a user table or application table um, that uh, one would insert into, which results as, as a side effect of that is that the triple that the user is trying to insert table gets inserted into the model as it as an RDF triple. Um, the other two uh, types of entity that we have in uh, in uh, type of object that we have in our storage scheme is uh, rule base, and this is basically the uh, user defined rule base or also the preloaded rule bases. Preloaded rule bases essentially uh, includes uh, RDF and RDFS, and in addition, user can create new rule bases. For example, uh, the ancestor of rule, uh, declaring the ancestor of rule uh, as uh, a transitive property, uh, a rule that represents that. So that kind of rule can be created by creating a rule base and adding rules to it. And then the third kind of entity that we have in, in this space, in, the, in our um, uh, scheme, is called um, the inferred triple set. Also, we call it rules index. But inferred triple set, I think, is a better, better phrase for it. You can take one or more models of uh, RDF, RDF models, right, which basically means that one or more RDF graphs. And then you can say, okay, uh, that combination of RDF models, I would like to derive new triples out of it using a set of rule bases. Uh, for example, it could be just one rule base, for example, RDFS. So I could say, okay, let's take this family data, uh, family uh, RDF data that we have available, family set of triples that describes the family, and then we run the RDFS uh, rule, rule base on it uh, to derive new facts out of it. So similarly, you can have a rule base like ancestor of rule, uh, consisting of ancestor of rule, and you take a model, a family, and then you can actually run that rule base, reason with, you know, derive new new triples using the rule base of which has the rule ancestor of. So these are essentially, again, summarizing, these are the four kinds of uh, 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 objects, schema objects that we have. One is the model, which is a, RD, a set of RD, collection of RDF triples, a set of RDF triples, RDF graph. And the second one is the application table, which is has a one-to-one -one, uh, correspondence with the with the RDF model, and then a uh, a an objects which are called rule bases, and then the inferred triple set, which are triple sets which are derived by uh, applying rule rules from a rule one or more rule bases into the triples in one or more more uh, RDF models. So moving over to the next uh, slide, number eleven. Um, this is going into more details about how we store data into an RDF model and the connection correspondence between an application table and an RDF model in our terminology. So um, for each model, the user creates an application table where there is one column of type SDO RDF triple S. That's an object type that we associate essentially with uh, our RDF store. Basically, it describes that object type describes an RDF triple, one RDF triple. And so, so when you cre when you create a, to create a model, you first create an application table with a column of that type. In this particular example, it is the triple 
column of type SDRDF triple S, and that gets associated with the RDF model that you are trying to create. And then after the end, similarly, you can have another model which is in a different uh, table, and again you have a uh, you have a column there of type SDRDF triple S, and then the the application table, of course, can have additional columns, which are completely which about which we don't have any say on it. Uh, so you can have a column like ID. You can have a column called uh, you know uncertainty. You can have a column called security level. Whatever you want there. Uh, that's how that's how we so, so application table must have one column of type SDRDF triple S, and that's all we require. And um, so going over to the next uh, slide, slide number twelve. Uh, this is going into more into the how how we store it internally. We uh, for each model, we we actually create internally a uh, a partition inside a table. We have a table which is a, a partitioned table, and for each RDF model that one creates, we create a uh, new partition for that. And now the more important thing is the URI map table. URI map table is basically a value to ID mapping. So we we use a normalized representation representation uh, to store the data. So there are multiple possibilities there. there are basically, two main possibilities. One possibility was that we could have used the denormalized uh, data. Uh, that is, take the triple values just exactly as they appear, right? So for example, John spouse of Mary. We could have put the the string John and spouse of and Mary as three columns in a table, and we could have actually stored the triples in that way. Uh, we decided against that one, uh, like several other people who other um, organizations who have done that, is basically because these um, um, URIs or most typically the URIs are pretty long. They are like 50 to 60 characters. In our experience, it has been on the average 50 to 60 characters could be even more, even just with using data like Uniprot uh, uh, data that we have. And so we and and there is a lot repetition of these uh, uh, URI values in the, in, the, um, uh, in the graph. And so if we want to repeat, I mean, basically from a space uh, um, efficiency point of view, it seemed much better to go for a normalized represent representation where we uh, put the, um, the string value, the URI value, URI lexical value uh, in one place and get an ID for it and then have an ID-based representation of the triples. So, um, so, so, th so that's why we have the which essentially maps any URIs or other literals into an ID, and then the ID triples table on the left side is the one that is the ID-based uh, uh, representation, where we each triple will be represented by the subject ID, predicate ID, and the object ID. And we, of course, we have the model uh, uh, name there, model ID actually uh, there, uh, that to separate out the, uh, you know, to, to indicate which triple belongs to which RDF graph. So uh, those are the two main tables that we have. And then the other table that we have is for rule-based, so where we actually store the, uh, the, all the rules that users create and all, also the preloaded rules such as uh, RDFS. So this is an overview of the storage schema that we use for supporting, um, uh, you know, semantic technologies, supporting essentially the storage of uh, semantic data. Um, going over to the next slide, uh, slide number 13, 
so the highlights of the story, there are some interesting aspects of storage that comes only in, um, in the case of RDF data. It's very, some of them are very specific to uh, RDF. Uh, not all of them, but some of them. Uh, so uh, the first one is that uh, we generate hash-based ID. Instead of, um, okay, I, we have to, I think, okay, so, so, so I have to I think, go back on this one a little bit. We actually use a sequence-based ID in TNG release 2, but we have written, uh, explored the use of hash-based IDs uh, in, um, you know, in our paper. Uh, we are working on this uh, for our uh, upcoming release, um, and uh, so the second point is it does canonicalization to handle multiple lexical forms. So this is an interesting thing because what may happen is the same value 10, the number 10, can be represented in, of course, infinite number of ways. Uh, you can say zero is countably infinite number of ways. It can say zero zero one zero or zero one zero excess decimal. Both are equivalent. So we have to use a canonical use canonicalization to so that all of these there's a value equivalence. We go we have to go by value equivalence. So we take care of that that in our storage. Um, this is a very of course very important thing for correctness. And then the other aspect that comes in is fidelity. Fidelity because what if somebody says zero zero one zero excess decimal and then when they want to retrieve the data back, right, uh, they have to, they would like to get the same form, not, not the canonical form of just saying one zero XLC decimal. So we uh, take care of that also in our storage. Um, then the, sometimes, not, not very common, but we, we do encounter long literal values, um, like uh, in our um, uh, terms, in Oracle, anything more than 4,000 characters is uh, considered a, 4,000 bytes is considered a, a long value, a long literal, and we actually take care of that by using uh, large objects, C um, logs, um, and then the another important aspect that comes in is that initially we thought that oh this data is going to be very nice and so on, there won't be any duplicates, but this has been our experience based upon uh, the you know the looking at looking very carefully at uh, or dealing working with data from Uniprot, working with data from the Lehigh University benchmark, and so on. There are actually plenty of duplicates in this in this data, um, so I do not often remember. But I think I have seen like in a, in, in a space of uh, 10 million uh, triples, I've seen like you know several thousand, probably tens of thousand. I don't exactly have the figure in front of me, but that many duplicates. So the moment you have duplicates, of course, that when you are loading data into into a uh, into a uh, into a unit storage unit which is modeled as a set, we have to make sure we get rid of the duplicates. And we have to spend a considerable amount of time to get rid of duplicates. So we, we do do that. I mean, we, we take care of that so that the model, that RDF model that is stored as corresponding to one graph, actually does not contain any duplicates. And the last thing is the no limits, of course. That's a scale aspect, which, of course, you probably expect from a database anyway. So, um, so now moving on to the next slide. This is uh, slide number 14. So we, have, we are done with the storage um, section of the presentation and moving over to the query section. This is slide number 14. And I'll quickly move to slide number 15, which is the first slide in the, in the query section. So, the, uh, so if you look at uh, this, RD, uh, the title is RDF querying problem. Uh, if you look at the problem, just like as an abstract thing, okay, what are you given? We are given an RDF, one or more RDF graphs, which is essentially the data that we need to search. And then we have, we are given a graph pattern containing a set of variables and some literals and so on. 
uh, a that that we so, so a set of set of triple pattern is uh, makes up the graph pattern, and we have been given that, and we are supposed to find the matching subgraphs, and so so what we return um, as for this query, given the graph, uh, given the set of graphs and the graph pattern, uh, we return the matching subgraph in the form that is in the form where each matching subgraph essentially contributes to a set of variable bindings. And um, so that's in an abstract, from an, from an abstract point of view, that's what an RDF query uh, involves. Moving over to the next slide, slide number 16, uh, this is a query example uh, for family data. Again, I'll not, it's, it's too detailed. I'll not probably spend too much time on it. But essentially, the graph is shown um, pictorially on the right side, uh, which says, you know, the, it's a family uh, relationship, um, uh, father, mother, and the, and the name, and so on. And the graph pattern that we are trying to query is, says uh, Tom has parent X, and X has father Y, and Y's name is uh, something. And so basically, it's a grandparent name of um, grandfather of Tom. Uh, grand, name of grandfather of Tom. That's what that's what is the, essentially the query, uh, the graph pattern is saying. And um, so, one of the matching subgraphs comes out as result, and that's I think that's what we are showing here with the red uh, arrows. Uh, and the binding corresponding to that is essentially saying x. The variable x is math; uh, should be instantiated to math. The variable y is instantiated to uh, John, and the uh, variable name is so, and the matching subgraph is shown right below the three triples that constitute the matching subgraph. So uh, again, this is probably very familiar with this. So I'll move over to the next one, slide number 17. Um, so the this is an interesting part where we had actually some uh, some good ideas about uh, RDF querying, particularly from a SQL user's point of view. So generally, the approach uh, for RDF querying has been to create uh, new query languages, for example, uh, RQL, SERQL in Sesame, and then uh, Sparkle that is coming up, and so on. And uh, we, at least when we started uh, in 2000, uh, really you know, coding up for the product, we uh, looked at because because SQL is something that that is very important to us SQL, and so we wanted to see how we can enhance SQL to uh, provide a way to uh, to to get RDF querying done as well as part of a SQL query. And so the first thing we wanted to do is embedding a graph query, an RDF graph query, in a SQL query. And so so basically the the uh, graph query is essence of a graph query is, uh, is captured by the graph pattern that you are using. So we wanted, to, we, we tried doing a sparkle-like graph, graph pattern, and we tried to embed that into a SQL query. And, and we have an approach we'll just describe in the, in the, in the next slide, uh, two or three slides probably. And, but what are the benefits? The benefits of embedding the graph query in a SQL query is that now that you basically, SQL has been developed for a number of years and have very, very powerful features that have been well-tested, very efficient. And so, so we, you are able to leverage all of these powerful constructs in the context of the RDF query because we are placing it, embedding it inside a SQL query. And the second thing, the advantage is that RDF queries are combined with conventional queries on database tables. Right? So you can join, for example, with a database table. 
And at the same time, you don't even are staging the result of the RDF query in some place else and then trying to uh, c combine that result with the, uh, with the database tables that you have. You can actually avoid the staging because it is coming from inside. It is inside the, inside the kernel. So, uh, so no staging required. So performance-wise, that's a big, big, uh, imp big uh, benefit. Moving over to the next slide, slide number um, 18. Uh, this, is, this is the mechanism that we used uh, to uh, allow uh, embedding, uh, SQL, uh, embedding RDF query in uh, SQL. Uh, so the title of this is SQL RDF Math Table Function. Uh, the, we use a table function, which essentially the idea of a table function is, uh, is that uh, you, um, it, it, it's a function which returns a table. So as far as SQL is concerned, SQL is concerned, when you invoke a SQL, uh, table function, what, is, since what comes out is a table, you can do any join or any table operations on that table. So the table function that we defined for allowing embedding uh, RDF, match, RDF query in SQL is the uh, SDO RDF match. And the parameters, I'll just go through a few, uh, one or two of the parameters. One is the query. The query is essentially the graph pattern. So in a couple of slides before this, we saw the graph pattern where we are trying to get to uh, get the name of John, uh, somebody, John's uh, grandfather. So, so that pattern will be will go as part of the query parameter. The param that, that will basically, the, its value will be the, in an invocation, its value will be the graph pattern. And then models is essentially saying that what are the RDF graphs that you are trying to uh, query. And then the, the other argument is the rule basis. It's saying that, okay, this query should use these rule bases as the entailment regime uh, to derive new rules, to derive new facts, and then answer on the basis of the user's directly specified facts plus the derived facts. And uh, then we, have, we, we also allow a uh, filter. Alias is just a uh, simple thing. And then filter is essentially you can say additional criteria such as, for example, you can say, okay, I want the, all, only uh, those people whose age uh, um, are greater than 65, for example. So just like any SQL query, you have a filter clause, uh, a where clause, so we have in, in, in there. And the, the an interesting thing that, that was there is that when you have a graph pattern like this in a, in a, a table function, what are the values, what are the columns that are going to be in the return table, in the table that we are returning? It really depends upon the number of variables that you have used in the graph pattern, right? So if you have used the uh, variables x, y, and z, then this is going to be a, probably a three-column table. So for, depending upon the graph pattern, the table will have a different uh, definition. And this is something that, is, that gets uh, interesting to uh, support inside the database. And we use a feature called any data set, which allows us to uh, determine the type at compilation time and then uh, use it. So it's a very flexible way of, um, uh, we, we kind of leverage this, this, this aspect that is supported inside uh, Oracle to, to allow uh, this uh, definition of the table mass table function, which, for, which actually in turn allows the user to embed, a SQL, embed an RDF query inside a, an SQL query. Moving over to the next slide, slide number 19. Uh, this is an example no, so the, the title of the slide, just to make sure you're on, on, uh, in sync with me, is a Query Example SQL, SQL-based Interface. And uh, the example here shows the 
shows, uh, oh, it's essentially the same pattern, which is select X, Y, and name these three columns from the invocation of the table function, SDORDF match, where the pattern is find grandfather of, uh, name of grandfather of Tom, right? And so it is going to return a table consisting of three columns, X, Y, and name. And X will be, in this particular case, the result will be X is Matt, Y is John, and name is uh, John D. So this is how one can actually pose a SQL, SQL query to, uh, uh, to act and embed an RDF query inside that SQL, SQL query. And we, are, we have not shown it here, but we can actually join this table now, right, the result, resulting table from the table function with anything, with any table. table. So... So, so um, the, moving over to the next slide, uh, slide number 20. Oh, okay, okay. This is what Melly was pointing to me, actually, that I have the, we have the example right in the next slide. Uh, okay, so here we show that the same uh, RDF query, table, table function invocation is there, and then it returns the table, and we are combining that with the employee table, Right, which is probably there in all, at least Oracle databases, uh, employee table, and figuring out the employee name, employee salary, employee hire date. Basically, we are trying to find first that who is, who is Tom's uh, grandfather, and then uh, combining that information with the employee table to find out his name, salary, and uh, the day he was hired. Um, so this is a very powerful uh, uh, way of, uh, very nice, uh, very interesting way of getting all the powers of of SQL, SQL. Um, this is this is what we found very very interesting and kind of motivated us to work more in this area. Uh, okay, uh, moving over to the next slide. Number, this one is essentially saying how we process RDF match. Um, this uh, I'll not go into detail of this one. Essentially, I mean you get the pattern and it generates a, uh, if it is a three three triple uh, pattern, uh, right? Um, like the one in the example. Then essentially it becomes a three-way join, three-way self-join of, of the ID triples table with, and then you have to, at the end, when you need the actual values, you have to uh, look up using the value, using the URI map table, where, which is the value to ID mapping and value to ID one-to-one -one correspondence mapping. So here we'll go by ID and then get the values and so on. Um, so moving over to the next slide, slide number 22. It gets a little more complicated than I said earlier, which is that when you have variables x, uh, one variable, let's say x in the pattern, it's not just the x that you need uh, outside as a column of the return of the resulting table. You actually need more information. And so what we, uh, what you need to know is that x is the value, is a literal value, a lexical value, and then you also need to know what is the value type of that. Is it a URI literal or blank note? Is it a literal type? Uh, if, uh, if so, what the literal type is, XSD colon integer or whatever, is it of type CLOB? In that case, it's, we need a different column because CLOB is a different type than string type. And then what is the language? If there is a language tag, what is it? And uh, another interesting thing that comes in, which is more, I think, in the time of processing the query, is uh, the projection optimization. So as you can see, you can have many variables. Um, uh, sorry, many uh, columns returned for one variable in the pattern. But of course, we do not want to compute all the variables unless the SQL query that is uh, is, uh, is actually referring, accessing that, that column. Uh, 
So that's what we do using the thing called using a uh, Oracle kernel feature called projection optimization. Essentially, the uh, parser gives us information. The SQL parser gives the information to the table function, saying that okay, we don't need you know uh, although y happens to be a variable in the pattern, we do not really need it outside table function. We actually do not uh, uh, compute the y value. Particularly, we do not try looking up the value of uh, y in the ID2 map uh, uh, ID2 value uh, mapping table. So we tried optimizing it as much as possible, obviously, uh, for performance. And uh, another optimization that we have talked about in uh, our uh, VLDB paper in 2005 is uh, table function rewrite. Um, essentially what happens is uh, the, the table function, when you, when you specify a query using an invocation of the table, of the table function SGO RDF match, uh, there are two ways of processing it. The normal traditional way of processing it is to take the table function as a black box and inside that, you, query, you generate a query and you submit that query to uh, SQL query to the RDMMS engine, and then you get the result out, and then you send that result out from that table function over to the kernel, over to the SQL, SQL engine, right? But what happens is this in, in, involves the communication cost going from the table function engine, which is actually a PL, PL SQL engine, a programming language engine, over to the SQL engine. Uh, RDMS, you know, the, the SQL engine. And this communication cost can be prohibitive if the number of triples that, number of triples that you are generating, number of values, uh, rows that you are generating from the table function is too large. It, it's not very selective, let's say, the pattern. So, uh, so we actually came up with this idea of table function rewrite, which um, allows us to, at compile time itself, take the table function and then completely translate that into a SQL subquery which can be spliced into the outer SQL query. And so because of that, at runtime, there is no existence of the table function. So table function, because table function does not exist and run at runtime, the whole thing is actually, ex uh, including the subquery that has been spliced into that, is executing in the SQL engine. And because of that, the communication cost is completely, uh, you know, eliminated. And this results in uh, excellent, uh, excellent speed up of the, of the query processing. Um, Oh, um, that was on slide number 23. I might have forgotten to mention that as moving over. And the next slide now is uh, slide number 24. So we, we, are, we, are the end, we have finished the query section. We'll just go to the inference section um, here briefly. And um, so slide number, moving on to slide number 25, an overview of the inference. Um, so native inferencing in the database is supported for RDF and RDFS and user-defined rules. The rules are stored in the rule basis uh, table that we, uh, we uh, showed in the storage structures in the storage schema for the RDF uh, support. And then, then we, uh, we, use, we do entailment of the user, of the user specified RDF data in the RDF model or models in the, with the um, uh, rule basis that the user wants. So, um, I, so one of the advantages, of course, of this is that when you are querying, we are not actually deriving, trying to derive data at that point, which makes, which makes the speed uh, better. Uh, there is a space issue that we uh, do have uh, to uh, materialize the derived data beforehand, but, um, but then that's a trade-off. It, it's uh, uh, you know, backward chaining versus forward chaining um, kind of trade-off, which is uh, well-known anyway. So 
Moving over to the next slide, slide number 26. This is a quick example again. It's uh, just that if you have RDFS rule example is A is RDF type B, and if B is subclass of C, then A is of RDF type C. And similarly, user-defined rule, an example would be if A has parent B and B has parent C, then A has grandparent C. And clearly, these, this kind of rule or any uncle rule, for example, uncle kind of rule or, um, cannot be expressed in, uh, in RDF. In fact, for that matter, it cannot be even expressed in OWL. So user-defined rules will always have to be there. Support for rules are, I mean, are definitely needed. And uh, we provided some support here in pen release to itself, uh, essentially to uh, overcome such shortcoming of the RDF, RDFS, and um, in 10.2 in, in RDF, RDFS. And, of, of course, in later cases, we have to also look at uh, address the shortcoming of OWL. Moving over to the next slide, slide number 27. Um, how do you actually create a rule base and so on? I'll not go into detail of this. This is more of operational. You create a rule base, and then we create a corresponding view for that. When you create a rule base, you cannot really in, uh, directly cre uh, create the rule in that, in that table, in the, in the storage structure. We create views. This is done more from a point of view of um, uh, leveraging the, all the uh, um, privileges and so on inside the databases that is associated with the view, uh, um, you know, the object of type view, and so that we can leverage all of those things. So we created this view aspect on top of uh, the storage so, uh, uh, to, uh, to not have to write, rewrite the code, I mean, uh, the same code again, and, of course, get into all kinds of errors and <laughs> bugs. So, and now the creating the rules index is the other part, which is essentially the rules index means we are trying to do the entailment. And what really happens is here we uh, say that SURDF models parameter is basically saying the RDF models that you want to use uh, for doing the uh, inferencing and the rule basis uh, parameter essentially saying what are the rule is or are the rule basis that you want to use for this uh, entailment. So in this particular case, we're taking the family uh, RDF model uh, containing user-specified data and you're using two rule bases, RDFS, which is w uh, well known and preloaded, and family underscore RB, which the user has defined, such as with the grandparent rule, for example, uh, to create all the derived data. For that, we store the derived data uh, in, uh, inside our RDF store. Actually, as part of a model, which is um, just a partition in the in the triple table, and we just use that, combine the models plus that derived data uh, when we do that, do any querying against that rule. Thing. Moving over to the next slide. Um, um, I think is number 28, slide number 28. The only reason we repeated this example is as, uh, apparent repetition, but it's not, it, there is a unique thing here, is that we are using the rule basis here. So the, 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 the pattern is saying that um, uh, the pattern, well, it's not a repetition. The pattern says Tom has grandparent Y, and um, Y's name, the name of his grandparent, and then that Y is of type male. So basically, it's the name of his grandfather. Uh, with, but it uses the rule, uses the derived fact, has grandparent, which is derived using the family underscore RB rule base from using the, and the family uh, RDF data. So this just shows that how one can, in, a, in an SQL query, can use, uh, use rule bases, um, specify rule bases. So essentially, this is an RDF query that involves 
use of derived data, and then we can combine it, of, of course, with SQL, now, all the other tables that, that we may want to. So, um, so that, that I think, uh, okay, going, moving over to the next slide now, number 29, brings us to the other section of the, of the talk, which is uh, semantic technology, uh, basically enhancing database queries with semantics. And uh, Meli will take over from here uh, to basically explain some of the use cases that we have seen uh, in, uh, you know, when people adopted our things and so on. So over to Meli. Thanks, Shari. So moving on to the next slide, thirty. So in the next few slides, we have some examples of how semantics has been used to make the database queries more powerful. Uh, some of these are uh, prototypes we built. Some of these are actual use cases from people using these in, in production environments. Like Sashauri emphasized uh, a lot about uh, the usefulness of adding uh, semantics to database queries, and here is one example. Uh, in this particular example, we have um, images and the metadata in the images stored in a relational table. And you can see the relational table in the picture. It has three columns, ID, image, and metadata. And the metadata has actually been extracted from the image. So what often happens in uh, hospital environments is different uh, databases in different departments use different sets of metadata terms to describe an image. Uh, so in addition to the metadata, is not just extracted from the image. People could also add uh, some information about the image. So these terms, if they do not match across different departments, it becomes difficult to query across them with the same query. So in this example, we have two images which have the terms maxilla, and another image has the term mandible associated with it. And if you have a query, find all images containing the word job with an uh, exact database match with equality operator, this will not work. Because the information that jaw is related to maxilla and mandible, or rather maxilla and mandible are parts of jaw, is not part of the relational table. That could be part of an ontology. And so we created a small sample ontology based on SNOMED terms. So what happens to the query processing time is the query actually consults the ontology and then queries the table. So in SQL terms, it's, uh, in this case, it's two different queries and the results are then combined to be returned to the user. Moving on to the next slide, slide 31. Here is another very similar example, this time in the spatial uh, domain. So, uh, well, we, we also have, in the same building, we also have the spatial group, which is one of the reasons why we, we sort of worked on this uh, prototype. And a common application there is people are uh, wanting to find out a specific kind of store, like find me a drugstore near where I'm located. And this query will operate against a relational table. Uh, stored in the database, which will also have relation information to find out all queries within certain miles. But what is of interest here to us is the fact that uh, each of the different businesses have categories associated with them. And, unless, and sometimes different businesses are, which are similar might actually be listed under different categories. But here we have a category health and personal care stores. We also have another 
category pharmacies and drugstores. If you don't search against the correct category, you might actually miss some of the results. So once again, here it's useful to consult an ontology, and we created this sample ontology from a taxonomy which comes from um, an industry organization which has put together these terms and the relationships between these terms. So moving on to the next slide, I think that's slide 32, though the slide number is not visible. This is what the, uh, this is a screenshot of the application I talked about in the previous slide. So here you can see that in the query, we're trying to find all stores which are, which belong to the category health and personal care stores. And there are actually no hits to this query because semantics is not used in this first step. And if I move on to the next slide, you can now see that there are red dots on the screen, which are actually the stores which are of the category health and personal care stores. And in this example, semantics is actually used. And you can see down here at the bottom right of the slide that Walgreens is actually listed under category pharmacies and drugstores. So without semantics, it obviously could not... Uh, Without semantics and when the category health and personal care stores are specified, obviously it, was, it wasn't found. Once again, ontologies are used to relate the fact that the category pharmacies and drugstores and the category health and personal care stores are related. Uh, moving on to the next slide, this is just a screenshot of uh, the, the ontology we built based on the taxonomy from the industry organization NAICS. It, it's just a simple slide. Moving on to the next slide, this is slide number 35, uh, titled Biosurveillance. This is a very interesting use case from the University of Texas Health Science Center, and this is a very, a very massive application. Uh, so the, the last two uh, examples I talked about uh, focused on using semantics to enhance uh, database queries. This, does, this looks at it from a different angle. This is taking lots of existing relational data, converting it into an RDF uh, and OWL data, and then storing and querying across this data and also combining this with other relational data. So what they do, they, they, this application tracks trends in, uh, or tracks patterns in what's happening in the Houston area. So they get feeds from uh, eight different hospitals in the Houston area, and they convert all of this data into an RDF and OWL representation and load that into the database. And here's another uh, reason why the database infrastructure was important to them. The users of this application are actually public health officials, and they were very particular about having a database-backed solution because so this is a very large data set growing very rapidly. Like in eight months, they had over 600 uh, million triples. And some examples of what they would like to track are, is there like a spike in flu-like symptoms coming in? And they also want to relate this to other types of data, for instance, that maybe there is a Super Bowl in town. So the spike in flu-like symptoms is simply because there are more people in town and so on. So it's, it's a very big sort of data integration product, and semantics is sort of a key piece. And the fact that semantics could be used in the database was very useful to this application. Moving on to the uh, next slide, slide 36. 
we have seen that some of the early adopters of semantic technology have been in the life sciences space. Uh, they, people have a good understanding of semantics, and people have been using semantics in uh, different applications, specifically in the area of data integration. It appears that different organizations within different, uh, within, uh, let's say, companies in this domain, or within organizations in this domain, have databases and they're all standalone and they're not able to integrate them and query across them and relate information between these different databases. So semantics are being looked at very closely as a technology that can facilitate integrating between uh, different databases. There are two major approaches that uh, people are looking at. One is uh, what we call the more data warehousing type of approach, which is similar to what the University of Texas Health Science Center is doing, that is convert all of your data or a good part of your data into an RDF and OWL representation. Or the second approach is to just have like a, uh, a semantic layer which will link the different databases together. And one thing we have consistently heard from people using or people investigating semantic technology for solving this data integration problems is that the ability to combine RDF and OWL queries with other relational queries is a big benefit because even with the data warehousing approach, they're going to have lots of, a lot of their data in relational tables. And as Shauri was also saying, the ability to combine is, is powerful. Uh, moving on to the next slide, uh, I think this is slide 37. It's titled uh, Sense Lab Use Case, Sense Lab Overview. This is from a research group at Yale University. They have a, a project for, uh, as part of one of their projects, they're actually looking to integrate data from several different databases that you can see in the uh, bottom of uh, this slide. And they use uh, semantics to do so. So moving on to the next slide, slide 38. Here's an example of a table from one of the databases. And on the top half of the slide is an example of an ontology they built to represent the relationship between the different columns in this table. And, these, oh, and this is a manual process. So an expert sits down and creates this ontology based on the relational table. And then this ontology can be used to, this can also be mapped to other columns in other tables and other databases. So once this layer is in place, uh, the, the queries can be executed across the different uh, tables and uh, different schemas of, in the different databases. Moving on to the next slide, slide uh, 39. Uh, this was another exam, uh, interesting use case where um, lots of publicly available data sources were uh, integrated. So like I was saying, the life sciences uh, uh, scientists and developers have been very early adopters of this technology. And uh, that has also led to a lot of a lot of public data sources being available in RDF. Like uh, few years ago, public data sources were available in the XML representation. Now they are uh, available in RDF or OWL representation. So these different data sets were actually integrated together, and that, that paper has been uh, uh, published. So the, the salient point again that we wanted to highlight was the fact that one. Uh, it was 
useful. This, the project discovered that it was useful to combine uh, relational queries with RDS queries. And another interesting thing was there were many different kinds of data types. Like they had some RDF data, they had some relational data, they had some text data, and then they had some uh, XML data. And a lot of standard databases provide support for all these different data types, and it was useful to combine all of them in, in the project. Moving on to the next slide, that's slide 40. Uh, this is a use case coming from the intelligent space, which is also, with, uh, and users in this space have also been uh, sort of early adopters of this uh, technology. And this of course, shows like a variety of different processes happening here. Essentially, what's happening is emails and other feeds, RSS feed, various things are coming in from different sources, and semantics is extracted from these different sources and represented in an using RDS and OWL. And once again, the advantage here is a lot of the original data itself needs to be stored securely say, in a database, along with the data extracted from them, that is the data represented using RDF and OWL, that also needs to be stored in the database. And again, providing support for all these different data types within the uh, database is useful. So that's the point I just wanted to highlight on this slide. I'm just going to uh, quickly talk about some plans for um, two new objects we're introducing. I'm now on slide 41, and before I talk about uh, the two new operators, I need to put in this safe harbor statement because most of the stuff we, most of the material we talked about up to now is already in a shipping product, whereas the, uh, the, the two new operators I'm going to talk about now is what we are planning. It's not yet, it will be in a, uh, there in an upcoming release, so Oracle requires us to put in the statement saying that just because we talk about it, it's not a commitment that it will be in a product in the future. Moving on to slide 42. So we, I talked a lot, we, we've been saying this over and over again in the presentation about the usefulness of combining RDF and our queries with relational queries and how it can be done using joins. Now to go one step further would be to actually add two new SQL operators. So we have an equality operator which is used in a query. The next step is to actually add semantic operators. And these are first-class operators, which means that they can be used in any SQL construct. So we're effectively extending SQL to natively tie in semantic operations with the relational queries. And not only that, we also have, just like for equality operators, you can have an index to, to improve performance. For semantic operators, we have introduced the notion, we have introduced a new semantic index type. So a user can build an index of a type semantic, in, uh, of, of type semantic index type to improve the efficiency of the queries. Moving on to slide 43. Um, this is, uh, this is, uh, this example illustrates well uh, the motivation and what the semantic operators can do. So let's say we have a table patient with an ID column and a diagnosis column. And the query is a query written in, uh, in, in red here. Find all entries in the diagnosis column that are related to upper extremity fracture. With just the equality operator, 
you, you would have to write a query which says select ID diagnosis from patients where diagnosis equals upper extremity disorder. And since the relation table doesn't have the fact that hand fracture and rheumatoid arthritis are uh, related to upper, sorry, hand fracture is related to upper extremity disorder, this will result in no results. So moving on to the next slide, slide 44. Instead of having an equality operator, here we're using the SEM-related operator, which enables the query to consult the ontology. So this is what we've been talking about all along, but here we actually push this down into the database, so which will help efficiency. So instead of uh, querying an ontology and querying a table and then doing a join, the whole operation has been sort of moved down into the database so it more facilitates the user query and also makes it more efficient. So now we can see that this is an SQL query. So in the where class, instead of the equality operator, we're using the SEM-related semantic operator. Uh, moving on to the next slide, uh, slide 45. Uh, this one also, this one shows the second operator that we introduced, the SEM distance, which is an ancillary operator to the SEM-related operator. So SEM-related identifies the terms which are related to a term in the table column, and SEM distance identifies how strongly they're related in some sense, or how, what is the distance between the two terms in the ontology that is being consulted. Moving on to the next slide. That's a slide 46, and it's a summary slide. So uh, to summarize, essentially, we have, uh, we were motivated to include semantic support in the database, uh, both like because it is an interesting problem and also because we felt that customers could benefit from it. And we are seeing that customers are benefiting from it, and there are four major components, storing RDFR data, then doing inferencing, querying the uh, RDF and our data and combining the uh, such queries with queries on uh, relational data. So with that, we come to the end of the presentation, and now we can uh, open up for questions. Does anybody have any questions for Melly at all? Oh, for sorry. Yes, there, there is uh, one question from a caller from a 703. Uh, uh, Peter? Yes. That's probably me, 703 from uh, Northern Virginia, Todd Schneider. Uh, hi, Todd. Hello. Uh, two, quick, two quick questions. Uh, last time I knew, the, this uh, support for RDFS only existed in your spatial component. Is that true? And the second question is, you referred to some papers during your talk, but I did not see the references in the slide. Could you provide those to Ontolog for us? And thank you for the talk. Uh, yes, the spa uh, we, the, it's still part of the spatial component, but that's more a, a, a packaging at this point. I mean, it is uh, it is provided as part of the spatial component. So when you install the database, you have to install the spatial component to to get the semantic functionality. So that is still true. And second, yes, we should have included the references, and we will definitely make a list available to the Ontolog forum. Thank you. Uh, Kristen from the area code 508, uh, and then after that there would be it. That would be uh, we also have someone from the area code 613. Uh, if you unmute yourself and identify yourself before asking the questions, uh, that'd be great. Um, I'm in 508, Dave Reiner. 
Go ahead. We can hear you. Right. Uh, how would some of this work fit in with the extensions or potential extensions to deal with the uh, uh, X-Query? Um, currently, there are actually two independent projects. We have not yet uh, uh, integrated the two. So X-Query is, of course, uh, has its own mechanisms, and we have our query mechanism is based on the Sparkle-like graph pattern matching in SQL. Yeah, I mean, basically, XQuery, we are, we are, uh, the XQuery is actually addressed towards XML data, and uh, we are addressing uh, data that is strictly represented in RDF as RDF uh, today. Uh, clearly, I mean, there is a relationship between RDF and XML, RDF being, of course, a uh, much simpler uh, version of XML, except for the uh, inference component that is uh, available. So uh, in future, maybe there will be uh, some ways of combining this, but at the moment, as Melly said, we are not actually combining these two, these two, because they are coming from a little bit of a different market uh, segment, uh, and we haven't really looked into the integration of these two. Thank you. The person from uh, 613 area code. Uh, 613, that would be me, Adrian Walker from Reengineering, and thank you for an excellent talk. Um, I, I wonder if, uh, as you add the, um, uh, the references to the papers, whether you could also point us to some endpoints on the web uh, where um, this kind of uh, technology is actually available, so one could actually generate queries uh, somewhere else and uh, ship them to the endpoint and have the results come back. Uh, so that's my first question, um, and I do have another follow-up question, but, but um, would it be possible to see some endpoints? Uh, that is something which other people have asked. We don't have these endpoints at the moment, but that is something oh, we could definitely look at uh, in the future. And mm -hmm. as and when it's, it's they're available, we would be happy to share that with the Ontolog Forum. Specifically, the Oracle Technology Network website uh, is just, I believe it's in beta right now, about making that more semantically enabled, and people have asked us about Sparkle endpoints for that. So anyway, to cut a long answer short, if and when they're available, we will definitely make that available on the Ontolog Forum. Okay. Yeah, that's and, uh, I have a, another question, if, if it's okay with uh, the moderator. Yeah, before you ask the question, I just wanted to uh, alert all everyone that within the session page, uh, there is right below where we says the speakers' slides are at uh, such a such a place. There's uh, a, a sec subsection called additional uh, resources. So far, I have posted the link to the uh, uh, Oracle Semantic Technology Center there, and when Melly provides additional uh, links to additional papers and other things, uh, that's where you will find the other resources. So, uh, Melly, Suri, you could go ahead and post those links yourself, or uh, feel free to send them to me, and I'll, I'll put put them uh, at the additional resources uh, uh, section there for everyone. Thanks, Peter. Uh, second question from Adrian Walker. Um, this is a more general question, please. Um, the, the examples you gave are very convincing and very nice, but they're also, and they have to be, small examples for presentations. And uh, one of our concerns in our work has been 
As you do more and more complex inferences using rules, using OWL, uh, using uh, various sort of inferences, um, writing the SQL, particularly the augmented SQL of the kind that you've described, becomes a fairly complex process. Um, and getting answers back um, depends on what rule bases you used and how the rule inferencing worked and so on. So there's a question that, that you might kind of think of as conceptual scalability, which is um, I'm an, an analyst at the CIA. Um, I want something by yesterday, and it's an entirely new query. Um, how do I go about getting that uh, done without sort of, uh, you know, having to get a, a programmer to do it for me? And how do I get an explanation of the results, not at the level of that we've been talking technically, uh, that you've been talking about technically, but at the level of the business? How do I get an explanation of the results that, that, so that I would actually believe the results and take some action in the real world? So um, okay. I, I hope that's a, an understandable question. If not, I'll try to clarify. Yeah, I think so. So let me try answering it. I'm sure Shauri has something to add as well. And if we don't address your question, maybe we can uh, delve deeper. Um, yes, I mean, uh, so, so, so let, let me start by giving some examples from users who are actually writing complex queries. And what we have seen is that if they're SQL developers, uh, they usually find this, uh, uh, it, it's not been uh, too difficult for them to do so. But that being said, you're right, it does require a programmer who has knowledge of SQL. So to address that, because we are, our focus has been to provide the infrastructure support. For the nicer tools or for the easier to use tools, we are working with a variety of third parties who provide the nicer tools. So one very uh, likely scenario as this technology develops is that this will be used by people who provide the tools with the sort of nicer to use, use maybe a GUI-based interfaces. So their developers would put certain things in place which would make it easier for an end user, uh, perhaps like yourself, to use the, uh, to use the technology. And you're right, the examples are simple in the presentation, and we always have this tussle of trying to balance, I mean, trying to bring the complexity of the product at the same time trying to make it simple enough so that we can talk about it in, in one hour. Okay, just to quickly follow up, I mean, we have a simple example in um, oil industry supply chain in which we generate SQL from rules, and the rules are fairly at much at the business level, but the SQL is several printed pages of SQL and is, is pretty opaque, uh, okay? So um, just having some way of, of linking from the business level uh, to the level that you've been talking about today and doing that computationally would, 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 would seem to be a plus. Yeah. That will definitely yeah. require tools. Yeah. yeah. To that. So that will definitely require uh, tools. I'm, I'm sort of being careful about not mentioning actual companies because I don't want to... I mean, talk, let's talk about commercial companies in this space. But there are a lot. So there are a lot of smaller companies who do, who focus on exactly this. And our goal is to integrate with them, so that they will provide the tools and we will provide the basic management. So okay. that's sort of the end goal as the technology emerges. So I just wanted to clarify uh, one thing that that uh, you know the 
the inferencing part, right, uh, the writing of the rules uh, part, that, uh, I mean, whoever is creating the rules, I mean, if it is not a preloaded rule, rule base such as uh, RDFS or, or built-in rules such as OWL, the user-defined rule bases, when they are created, the user obviously has to actually write the rules accordingly, and then the inferencing process will automatically generate the, you know, just saying create rules index uh, is essentially going to do the entailment and create the, uh, in a forward chain manner, will create the, all the triples that can be derived from there. And then that aspect is, 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 uh, is uh, fairly simple. But as you said, of course, the, the other part, which is the, the posing the query itself, essentially creating the graph pattern, right? I mean, that part has to be done by, uh, has, there has to be something in between that will take the user specification and essentially translate it down to the graph pattern that we accept from the SQL. And that, as Melly said, I mean, we need uh, to integrate with tools from partners um, probably to, to provide that kind of support. Okay, uh, we, we should talk then, but, but I'll, I'll give up the floor now because I'm sure Peter has other hands raised. Yeah. Okay. We're happy to talk offline about this. Yeah, Yes, uh, there's one more hand up. Uh, I can't see who you are, but uh, you know who you are. And uh, uh, please unmute yourself with a star three and start uh, uh, using yourself and then ask a question. We cannot hear you yet. Yes, go ahead. Um, okay, I have two things to say. One is that um, the two new operators that you say are, are coming out, it seems that those were written up in the VLDB 2004 paper, although perhaps now you're, they're becoming, uh, you know, more, as you said, first class. But Again, I mean, yeah, we actually wrote that in VLDB 2004, uh, and, uh, and we, um, in 10G release 2, did not have them. And, uh, however, as we said, I mean, again, we cannot say things because of, you know, certain legal aspects, but, um, I mean, we have worked on it for the upcoming release, so, you know, unless things go wrong, so, you know. Okay. So what I wanted to ask was, um, starting, starting in slide 10, you talk about a model. You know, you have an application table. I understand the application table would hold the uh, RDF triples, but what do you mean when you say model? Model 1, Model 2, uh, as you refer in slides 10, 11, and so forth? Okay. The um, model, ex model corresponds directly to the, to the concept of RDF graph. So if you have one RDF graph, right, uh, we'll store that in an RDF model inside. The model essentially is the storage unit for one RDF graph. You can keep adding to it, of course. Mm -hmm. You can load up some some triples into that graph, right? And then again, as you get uh, need to add more triples to that graph, you can keep adding to that corresponding model, right? So, uh, so for example, a family model, right? Um, just imagine for a moment that we create, let's say, the, uh, one graph is for the Adams family and one graph is for the Williams family, let's say, right? So Adams family will be one model, one RDF model. So you create one application table there. Let's say it's called it Adams Data. And then in at that application table, Adams Data, you'll have one column called SDO RDF triple of type SDO RDF triple S, right? And then 
and you say, okay, let's, can you, then you ask the system to create a model, create an RDF model corresponding to that column Adams, uh, in the Adams data table. Right? So that creates an RDF model inside our store. And then you want now, let's say, create the Williams model. So you say, okay, let's create another application table. You can call it Williams data. Uh, and then one of the columns there, again, has to be SDORDF triple S type. And then you create the model saying, okay, create model uh, with the RDF model, uh, with the Williams data table, column number name, let's say, triple, and, uh, and the column and the model name, let's say, is called W. So you create a model called W with uh, that application table called Williams Data, which has a you know, triple type column. So that's that's the idea of model. So essentially, model is you can even just think of model as a graph. That's it. I'm not sure this this clear, but this is uh, because uh, when we look in the looked in the resource description framework uh, specification, they actually talk about models. In fact, we picked up the term model corresponding to a RDF graph right from the specification itself, in the W3C specification. If, yeah, if it is not clear, we can definitely, you know, we can just send us a mail and we can, we can definitely show you examples of how to create a, uh, a, an RD, uh, create two different models inside an RDF store uh, and so on. Essentially, you have the same kind of schema, but you're saying the Adams family and the Williams family would be two different application tables, but yet they'd be following the same kind of uh, model or schema, right? But I, I, uh, I can take us offline if, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, the internal model schema is the same, but there would actually be two different models. So the Williams table, <coughs> sorry, the Williams table and the other table would both have two different models associated with them. So one way to look at it is, to look at the column in the application table as having a conceptual link to a model. So you sort of operate at the application table level, but that's where you load data and so on. But then the triples are actually eventually stored in the internal storage in an optimized fashion. So there's, like, there's, there's sort of like a conceptual link between the two. Yeah, and and and, uh, and uh, the thing interesting thing is if you kept you can you can, you could combine them also into one model if you wanted to right okay. into one one storage unit inside our inside our uh, RDF store, uh, but uh, then the application table that you associate with the combined model is only one right. So what that limits you to is that you could not keep you know strange columns different kinds of columns in the application table for the two different families. So, for example, for the Adams family, right, you may say, okay, how, you know, how scary are they are, right? You can have a column called how scary are they, right? And for the Williams family, you can say, okay, you know, did this guy a person go to space? Did this guy, you know, all those kinds of things. So, you can have different user-defined user, user columns. I mean, these are, have nothing to do with RDF in the application table. So, if you have such requirement, you may want to store them as two different models because then you can associate different context with the tri each of the triples in that model. Or if you think that, no, they, they have the same context, we do not really want to keep different kinds of data for them, right? And, uh, you know, then you could actually combine them into one model. Okay, thank you. Okay. Could you identify yourself, uh, <coughs> lady just, who just spoke? Okay. Mm -hmm. We have... Oh, oh. Yes. I just said thank you. Oh, it's good. It's good. I mean, we welcome. know who you are. 
Oh, I, I was Nancy Wiegand from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Oh, thank you. Oh, Kate, is this uh, another show of hands from the caller from 661, area code? Uh, if you unmute yourself uh, and speak up. Yeah, Peter, this is Frank Alvedras. I've got two questions, but they're related. Uh, the first one has to do with hierarchical relationships with the graphs. Um, if you have, for example, you're working on one of the editors uh, and you've got several models that are hierarchical, in other words, they are, uh, you've got subgraphs that are related, do, does, how does the system handle that? Can uh, the design of or does it have to make it into one large graph if, for all the data? And secondly, and this is a related question, how do you interface with uh, some of the more popular um, uh, ontology editors like uh, Protégé or Composer or that sort of stuff? Thank you. We, um, for, the, for the hierarchy, we do not at the model level, right? We have um, we the, the models do not have themselves any hierarchical relationship. So our RDF store is essentially a collection of models. If you can have hierarchy across, uh, you know, stored across models, you can have um, you know uh, uh, you know John father of. Uh, uh, Mary in one place and uh, John parent of Mary in one place and another gra graph and a different model say, may say oh uh, Matt is a father of John right uh, or ancestor or parent of John and then you could actually combine in your query or in your when you're creating the entailment you could say I want to combine these two models together and I want to apply RDFS to the combined data and create a uh, an entailment which is called rules index in our or inferred triple set uh, and and store the data there you could do that, uh, but as far as the models are concerned, they are all. This is a flat structure. Two models are not related to each other in any way. So it's up to you whether you want to. Uh, I mean, up to the application whether both models should be stored as one large model, or both graphs should be one large graph, or they should be separate graphs. And one way to decide that is what the popular unit of operation is. Like if you're doing queries mostly within one of the subgraphs, then that would be an indication that that should be a separate model. Or if you're doing more operations, like you're likely to drop that model as in, in one operation, then that's another reason to have set of a, a specific subgraph in one model. Does that sorry, help at all? Or? Okay, I'll move on to the second part of the question. Uh, this, which, how do we work with other? Yeah, I'm sorry. This, the, the, uh, how do you how do you interface with? Uh, so, for example, like the 10G system, how does it interface with the uh, the popular or ontology editors like Protege or Composer or whatever? Right. So we had a sample integration with Protege 3.1, and that's actually available on our website. But uh, Protege has since been uh, updated to 3.2, and we have not had a chance to upgrade our integration yet. But people, we've had several people successfully use Protege 3.1 with the Oracle 10G. And with Composer also, the, the top-rate folks have put in the integration for both 10G and the upcoming release. So that integration is in place, and people have been uh, using that as well. And uh, like I was saying in response to an earlier question, we are constantly looking to integrate with popular tools like this. Like if there is a popular tool and we feel that that people like using it, then we will look into providing an integration there. So regarding the first part of the question, 
I don't know whether we answered your question well or not. Right. Um, I understand. I understand uh, what what the structure is now, and and it's actually my question. I think is more related to if we're building a lot of ontologies that are related to each other, how is it handled? And the answer is it handles each model or graph as a sing single model, and it's flat and horizontal. That answers the question. Okay. I don't see other hands up. Oh, uh, someone just did. Uh, someone from a 650 number. Um, could you unmute yourself and speak up? Six five zero. A caller from the 650 area code. Would you speak up, please? You might have. Uh, you you you're muted. So, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. Yes. Oh, hi, hi, Peter. This is Lisa Colvin. Sorry if this is a commercial query. Um, then, then just disregard. I was wondering, what are the differences um, in support between um, the ten the 10G and then the upcoming release? Do you have a Do you guys have a paper that compares the features or maybe? you know, the improved inferencing or whatever in support of the right. product? When the product is released, we will definitely have the paper that goes along with it, which will highlight the difference. So under the same safe harbor statement, I'll just make some very high-level uh, points about the differences. One, the load has been improved tremendously, the speed of loading data into uh, the database. Second, we have significantly enhanced support for inferencing. We have some, uh, we were planning some support for OWL, and actually the presentation on October the 18th will go into much more detail on that. And that is one of the reasons why we chose an October date, because we might be able to talk more about it uh, then. And the, la the, the last uh, major component are the ontology, uh, the SQL, two new SQL operators for the ontology-assisted query. Thank you. I don't see other hands up now. I mean, if anyone has another question, please raise your hand. Maybe I have one before I uh, turn things back to Susie. Uh, on your slide 42 and then somewhere on 45, uh, you you have this uh, ancillary operation uh, operator semantic distance, I, I believe. Uh, how do you define semantic distance in, in your... your uh, so each link has a distance of one. Okay, so it's the number so, of arcs it has to tra traverse to get to a node? Yes, uh, yes. So, for example, if you're looking at the picture now, hand fracture is two levels away from upper extremity fracture. So that distance is said to be two. And the distance between arm fracture and upper extremity fracture is one. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, ontology, and that's why I was... Uh, yeah, if, if, if you're not able to look at the ontology, I think there was slide 45. 45, yeah. 45. And you can see a picture of the ontology with the same distance operator at the bottom of the slide. That's the 
on Paldeus looking at. So each link, so you have upper extremity fracture and arm fracture is a distance of one from upper extremity fracture. Hand fracture is a distance of two from upper extremity fracture. And finger fracture is a distance of three. Okay, thank you. Back to Susie. might be running into some difficulty here uh, with getting Susie back onto the line. Uh, so maybe I'll, I'll help her uh, thank our speakers. I think it was, has been an extremely uh, interesting and, uh, talk. And this is the first of two parts. A presentation that our friends from Oracle are providing to us and sharing with us. Uh, the next session, as Melly uh, alluded to just now, is now scheduled for October 18th. Again, it's Thursday, the regular uh, Ontolog Forum session time, and uh, they will be covering they're focusing more on the new product that is going to be released uh, between now and then. And I heard uh, it could be more uh, around the OWL implementations that they're going to offer us. And uh, on that note, I thank everyone for joining us today. And uh, as mentioned, the uh, telephone callback will be available within minutes after we close the session. Uh, the session has been recorded and the audio archive in MP3 should be available before the end of the day and uh, will also be available on podcast if you haven't subscribed to the Ontolog podcast. Well, thank you again, uh, Suri, uh, Ali, and thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation. We really enjoyed it. Susie and Matthew uh, for sharing the session and of course Matthew for masterminding the entire database and ontology series. Uh, we have with us uh, Tatiana Maluta today also Professor Maluta actually was the first person who started this all by saying I mean we should have something about database and ontology and ontolog and thanks Professor Maluta. Alright. Thank you everyone. That's, that's it. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. you.